Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. This is episode eight, Health and Safety. My name is Sam Davies and I'm here as always with my colleague, friend and collaborator, Vicky Bratherton, a.k.a. VB. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Sam. <laughs> so, um, so, as I say, we're here today to talk about health and safety. What an exciting topic, VB. Yes, I don't think that's going to be the words on everybody's lips, to be honest, Sam. But we will try and make it as interesting as we possibly can. We'll break it down. So health and safety in the office, where your charity is based, and health and safety out and about at events. So in terms of health and safety, one could say, VB, that health and safety is there to ensure that uh, staff, members of the public... And everybody involved in the charity in one way or another is being looked after to the best of the ability of the charity. Would you agree with that? I would definitely agree with that. There are, with, with all these things, there has to be an element of you know people using their own common sense. But as long as everything has been put in place, all risks have been you know considered and um, measures put in place to avoid those risks happening as far as possible, um, then the charity is onto, onto a winner. So to make health and safety sound a bit more exciting and to put it into context for you, um, over the, this podcast we're going to give some case studies of charities that have um, come under fire for not putting the proper protocols in place and highlighting with what they could have done or should have done differently to ensure that they weren't sued or prosecuted from malpractice. So I'm going to kick off with a story um, that I came across. It's actually a story from Ireland. It's a, a, ch- a charity that arranges weekend holidays for for young people and children and basically they were sued by a hotel that um, hosted one of their weekend trips and because a fire was um, set by a 10 year old boy um, after he absconded from the trip he set the fire to the shed which then spread to the hotel the hotel didn't have insurance to cover contents and repairs to items such as paintings and the issue between the parties is whether there was a duty of care in terms of risk assessment and whether the an organisation like the Society who organised the weekend trips had to carry a background check to ensure that there would have been no risk from the children. There's also an allegation of insufficient supervision. So with that story, you've got kind of two areas of blame. A, it could be that the hotel wasn't sufficiently insured to host um, sort of charities. The charity could have also been at fault because they hadn't done the proper risk assessments um, and ensured that the children were supervised at all times and that they were safe to be uh, to be on this holiday in the first place. So that throws up the, the question of insurance and having adequate insurance and also safeguarding as well, but we'll probably go on to safeguarding a bit later. It's a really interesting case study, isn't it? Because like a lot of the case studies that you'll see out there when it comes to charities being sued it often comes down to questions over has there been as you say a risk assessment and is there sufficient uh, insurance and the types of insurance we're talking about in the office insurance the um, employer's liability insurance which um, is I suppose ultimately underwriting the risk of anything that happens in the office so it allows then the charity to meet the costs of compensation for any employee's injuries and also uh, illnesses when they're, when they're on or off site, actually. So it's when workers, you know, if, if workers doing on a business trip, then the employer's liability insurance should also cover them for that. And there's the public liability insurance, which would kind of, this is kind of quite key for this case study, isn't it? That public liability insurance is 
essentially if claims are made against the charity um, by members of the public or other businesses. And so there are two types of insurance there. As well as considering um, insurance and, and which one to go for, um, it's also important that you go with the right company as well. Um, you need to use an authorised insurer for employers' liability insurance. And if you don't, you may be breaking the law. So you need to be very careful about that. Um, you can check if your insurer is authorised for employers' liability insurance. And the Financial Services Authority maintains a register of authorised insurers. So you can check whether companies are authorised on their website, fsa.gov.uk, or you can call them on 0845 one thing that you'll have to do, whether it's in the workplace or at an event, is to carry out a risk assessment. VB, what do we mean by risk assessments? Well, risk assessments are a way for you to identify any potential hazards that could happen either in the workplace or at an event, especially at challenge events where people are you know, doing exercise or if it's outdoors and there are potentially things that you can't control. As long as you've identified those hazards and put as many measures in place as possible um, and you, we're not talking about you know you have to chop trees down or anything because they might blow over but to, just to acknowledge that it's there check it on the morning of the event for example and just ensure that 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 everything is safe for your event participants in the office it's slightly different because obviously the charity has an obligation to ensure that buildings are kept maintained so by identifying the potential risks and um, from the outset you can rely on that Risk assessments, they're not about creating huge amounts of paperwork, but identifying sensible measures. If you are looking at um, holding an event, or if you've recently moved into a new uh, property, or if you're, you know, you've been charged with updating risk assessments for your charity, and then do have a look at our, our website. Mm. It's also worth bearing in mind, as well as identifying potential risks is you know identifying any workers who have particular requirements for example new workers who aren't familiar with the building young workers who may have never worked in an office environment and may not be aware of potential hazards expectant mothers people with disabilities home workers and members of the public so if you have people you know who aren't staff coming into your building uh, whether that's for a meeting or if you have say for, if it's a charity shop for example and you have members of the public coming in you need to make sure that they that your staff are prepared to deal with any um, potential risks that may come of having people who aren't aware of um, the building's safety in mind. I was talking to a um, fellow charity worker about their charity practices and uh, we, we got talking about their groups. They're a charity that have got a few small groups of fundraisers in different parts of the mm. country, which is similar to a lot of charities in the UK. Yeah. And, um, and they were asking kind of to what extent I felt that they should have risk assessments and also insurance for, uh, for those groups. And my answer, really, I think the distinction comes down then to if the group is seen as part of the charity, in her case it was, then you will need to look at having this for, um, for those groups in the same way that the charity needs to have these things in place too. Okay. Well, that's um, insurance and risk assessments um, out of the way. Next on our, our list of things to address in this, this podcast is safeguarding policies. Now, I've got a, another case study here um, regarding um, a well-known veterans charity who in February earlier this year, 2016, the Daily Mail released a 
an article saying that they were under an investigation after claims that it jeopardised the welfare of vulnerable veterans, including one who reported being on the brink of suicide after detail, confidential medical details were shared. Now, safeguarding is obviously a very sensitive subject, but it is an important one to raise. Safeguarding usually refers to physical, sexual, emotional or psychological abuse of children, young people or vulnerable adults. And your organisation should have a designated person who has overall responsibility for safeguarding, who is the point of contact for staff members to report any incidences of suspected or known abuse. Safeguarding is most relevant for employees who work directly with children and vulnerable adults, but it is important that all employees um, of an organisation are aware of um, safeguarding policy that the charity has in place and take responsibility for safeguarding no matter what their role is. All employers should be able to recognise the different kinds of abuse and feel comfortable in reporting any suspected cases of abuse to the person with overall responsibility for safeguarding in the organisation or if there's any immediate danger to the person and or employee involved um, to the police. All organisations whose employees work directly with children, young people and vulnerable adults must safeguard them from harm. And there's loads more information about this on the on the government website, www.gov.uk. If you just search in safeguarding, it should all the information you need should come up. As in the case of the charity I mentioned earlier, obviously sharing confidential medical details, obviously that's, you know, that's a, a data protection issue in itself, but also a it may be that they haven't considered the impact that that might have on the individual concerned. You know, all charities can fall foul of, of mistakes like that. There's also a way of um, ensuring that members of staff or you know, volunteers at a charity are well prepared for any, any situations where, for example, at an event, you know, we, we're constantly, as, as fundraisers or as charity people, we're constantly out at events or we're out meeting members of the public. What happens if you do meet somebody there that you feel is in some type of difficult situation or in harm, you know? Mm. Um, and I think the safeguarding policy helps to signpost people to what to do if they come across something like that. Now, I think that's a really good point, Sam, because it, it could be also all too easy for, you know, someone who's, as, you know, as we are, a fundraiser at an event may witness something and think, but it's not my job to report that. It's everybody's job. All of this health and safety stuff, it's, it's obviously there for a good purpose, which is pr- primarily to ensure that people keep safe. But it's also there to help reassure members of the public, members of staff, volunteers, that there is a procedure, there is a course which you can follow if things start going wrong in any of one of these areas, whether it's a fire in the building to someone tripping over and hurting themselves to uh, meeting somebody at an event who you feel is in some kind of peril or needs some kind of help which you are not necessarily trained to give. So it's really, really important uh, for all charities to have these policies in place. And one of those policies which kind of fits within the safeguarding policy is the vulnerable people policy. So if you're working as a volunteer in a charity shop and somebody's coming in and they don't, they appear not to know where they are or why they're there, then obviously there's a responsibility because they're in your shop and you've, you know, you've got a human responsibility, a moral responsibility to them as well. So what do you do? So the shop should have some way in which you can then escalate that query if you don't have experience of knowing what to do and then you can help that person. So all of these things need thinking about and and charities need to be putting these in place.
recently there's been a report that um, some of the Damien Hirst exhibitions from the 1990s, you know these formaldehyde animals, these animals yeah, that kind of... Yeah, tiger shark and the sheep and... That's yeah. the one, I think they did a cow as well. Yeah. So um, recent report was that some gas has been, small amounts of gas has been, have been leaking out of these exhibits and, uh, and that's actually potentially uh, got long-term carcinogenic impacts for those people working in that art gallery so you know again that's probably not something you usually have on your risk assessment for your office or uh, you know that you need to think about health and safety but it goes to show that you know there are all sorts of things that you should you know keep an eye on and and an ear out for when it comes to assessing the risks in your office And one, one of the things to consider, obviously making your place a safe place to work, is first aid. So you need, to, you need to be responsible for making sure your employees receive immediate attention if they're taken ill or injured at work. And this may mean uh, training some of your staff members um, in first aid. So getting you know organisations like the Red Cross to come in and do training. Accidents and illness can happen at any time, as we know, and first aid really can save lives and prevent minor injuries from becoming major ones as well. So, as a minimum, each organisation must have a suitably stocked first aid box. So, if somebody does injure themselves and they need to take a sticking plaster, make sure the plaster is replaced. An appointed person to take charge of first aid arrangements, so who's in charge of that first aid box and is, you know, and has the pr- proper training. And information for all employees giving details of first aid arrangements so they know where the box is, they know who their first aiders are and who to go to in case of an emergency. Most organisations will have an accident book and you can get all such as this from um, free from um, organisations like the British Red Cross who organise first aid courses and training. You know, if you have events where you're serving food, you're selling food, um, then we would suggest that you check out the Food Standards Agency. They've got lots of information about how you can ensure that food preparation, serving facilities, equipment is clean and in good repair and that uh, everything's above board when it comes to making sure that food is safe to eat. And, um, and so, yeah, as I say, check out the Food Standards Agency for anything like that. And also, if you're using any companies that are... Uh, preparing food or serving food at your events then it's very very important that again you check the food standards agency information on on that and make sure that they have all of the right certificates and missions to uh, to produce food for the public we interviewed matthew holder uh, head of campaigns and engagement at the british safety council British Safety Council is a government-regulated awarding organisation and have a full suite of health and safety qualifications. They were also the supplier of health and safety training and consultancy services to the London 2012 Olympic Games. Uh, Matthew Holder, thank you so much for joining us for Charity Chats. Thank you for having me. The British Safety Council is is a charity and membership body educating workers, managers and employers in controlling health and safety and environmental risk. And as a charity, we also have a public awareness raising remit to build awareness of health and safety as a general social good. Matthew, what are the most common mistakes made by charities and other companies in terms of health and safety compliance? There can be confusion in charities about how the law applies to the charity sector, whether it's um, health and safety law or common law. This is particularly the case with smaller grassroots charities in our experience. A simple guide to the law on this is that whoever is working for a charity has a contract 
uh, is working under health and safety law. If you are volunteering, then it's common law that applies to you. This confusion can cause charities to mistake uh, health and safety for something onerous and bureaucratic. People in the charity sector can fear liability. Uh, this can lead people to treat all risks as if they're the same, from minor ones to significant ones, from running of fate uh, to loan working in deprived areas, for example. A recent development we saw around this, this area, around liability, is the, the Salvation Act. And this guides courts that if someone working for a charity or is volunteering is involved in an incident, then the court would uh, have to show that the person intended harm or was deliberately reckless. And this builds on work that was done to provide reassurance to people giving first aid, people in the street if something happened. So they wouldn't be liable if something went wrong. So I think a really key message for charities, because it is, a, it is, a, it is an error that we see, or it's a confusion that can lead to um, over-bureaucratization of health and safety, is you can't accidentally cause an, a health and safety offence. So with this clarification of the law and these cases, which are very rare, it should be said that they're very rare that anything bad happens when people volunteer or work for charities. But with this cl uh, clarification, um, I think it should help this confusion. Uh, and I saw this uh, recently. Um, uh, the British Safety Council is supporting a campaign called Hashtag I Will, which is trying to get more adults to work with uh, young volunteers between the ages of 10 and 20. And one of the messages we hear back from grassroots organizations and even sort of medium to larger size um, charities is because they have this kind of fear that young people are more at risk um, and their behavior can be more risky, that would place the adults that are working with them in some kind of liability. So I think an, another sort of area which needs to be looked at is around insurance policies that charities take out because sometimes these insurance policies can be quite age restrictive and making it difficult for a charity to have an under 16-year-old volunteer working for, in doing things like working in their shops, for example. A second mistake I would say that charities can make, but not just charities, all organizations can make about health and safety, is that it can become a very overly technical and managerial issue, which is disconnected from, from workers or volunteers. The danger is that people treat health and safety as a series of tick boxes and as something that is done to workers rather than done with or for workers. This can have the negative consequence of reducing the responsibility and involvement of workers in their own health and safety and well-being. And then this in turn can expose people to more risks because they don't have an educated sense of the risks involved in their work or volunteering. And this is not just a problem with the charity sector, it's a problem I would say with the whole system, including regulators, bodies like the British Safety Council or consultants. We all need to think more about how we use the information we have to be interesting and relevant to all people and making it practical and making it simple. And I've said in the past, although slightly simplistically, that health and safety campaigns are not a science, rather they're stories and it's stories that change the world. And this is doubly important, I think, when you're trying to work with young people and in the world of volunteering, you're trying to get more young people involved. I think, it's, I think it's really important that all those people who have an interest in health and safety reach out to, to young people with information that makes it relevant to them and makes it interesting. What first steps should charities take to ensure that they are health and safety compliant? Well, it's clear that charities operate across a huge areas of work, um, from low-risk activities such as organising community groups to moderate risk activities like uh, arranging outdoor activities, meals on wheels, um, uh, providing health and social care services, um, so you know, potentially higher risk activities like working with the homeless, um, with attendance or drugs and alcohols and behavioural issues that go to go with that. So they're, so they're operating across massive areas of work and the economy, a whole range of different risks. So the starting point is that any charity should provide a safe place of work for their staff, for members of the public, or for their volunteers. And the best starting point to create a safe place of work 
is to look at your actual work activity. What are you there to do? And then consider whether these activities create low, medium, or higher risk. And by risks, we mean what is meant is the degree of harm and how likely is it to happen. And this is what we call risk assessment. So to do this risk assessment, um, it might be worth investing in training a competent person to oversee it, but this will depend on the complexity of the organisation and the degree of risk that's involved. So we mustn't treat risk assessment as just another piece of paperwork that we do and we put in a folder and we forget about. So, that's, so training can be key. Two other main areas, leadership from the top of the organisation and the involvement of workers and volunteers. Both those things are the basis for compliance. Leadership from the CEO, the employer, that is visible, committed, is essential to invest the time and resources to make sure that things get done uh, in a way that is practical, that risks are managed properly and proportionally. Involvement of workers and volunteers is vital because they know best the kind of risks that they're involved in, and they will know if, if an attempt to improve their health, safety, well-being actually works or not, whether it's practical or not. And a good example from that, which we see in organisations which charities, I think, also do, and especially the larger charities, but I think everybody can do this, is what we call toolbox talks. Uh, toolbox talks are basically you start the day with the people, the volunteers, around somebody who goes through a particular risk, for example, lifting a heavy box. So how do you do that safely? So it's on-the-job learning. It's not training. It's not formal training. It's just, it's just on-the-job learning using the knowledge and experience of the people that are there. So that's really good. Health is as important as safety is another, is another key message, I would say, when you're looking at compliance. So we know that the main reasons that people are off sick for, uh, from work these days is due to musculoskeletal disorders and uh, work-related stress. So factors like bullying, working with the public, overwork and long hours, poorly supervised work, all this can lead to unhappiness at work and eventually into mental ill health, which can cause people to take um, time off. So, so health must be really stressed as, as, as important as uh, safety. Where can charities find out more about health and safety? The Health and Safety Executive website has excellent resources on compliance. I would also suggest to have a look at the British Safety Council website. We have some good material there. And also the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents has good resources. And all those websites have downloadable materials. For example, the HSC has very clear information on things like, you, need, you know, every organisation must have an accident book um, under law. Uh, so very specific things. And then some more generic and advice which which can be really helpful i run a campaign which is aimed at young people to get young people aware of health and safety called speak up stay safe and with with the hashtag i will campaign i've developed a set of resources to help those who are interested in getting more young people into volunteering and doing social action so i've got information on that site uh, on the law as we were talking about before between the difference between common law and health and safety law and also a very simple approach to risk assessments that is aimed for people who are in the charitable world so I would suggest Google, speak up, stay safe, and have a look at the volunteer section of that. How do you think health and safety will change for charities in the future? Well, I think firstly that um, I think and I hope that some of the fears about liability and confusion over the law will reduce. It's really important that assessing risk is simply a good way to carry out a task, and it's important that we see it that way. And I think even more so given the importance of charity work uh, to people's lives. So assessing and controlling risk should enable a charity to prosper and not be a barrier. So I think that, I hope, is something that will become clearer um, as time goes forward. Health and safety more generally is changing quite a lot, so I think that's part of a broader change um, movement within which the charity world is, is, is involved in. 
when I was talking about health, I think we're starting to understand much more that physical and mental health are strongly interconnected and connected to conditions of work. So the importance of good work and work that is meaningful and fulfilling is essential to a person's physical and mental well-being. And charities are in a good place to promote this idea of good work and good health because of the social value of what they do. I think one of the risks going forward is that as charities increasingly run parts of our economy and services that was um, undertaken previously by the state, then the types of risks associated with the public sector such as musculoskeletal disorders or stress, work-related stress, overwork, long hours, etc., will need to be addressed. And I think that's a challenge going forward. And another sort of more broader changes in the demographic of the workforce. People will be expected to work longer. Uh, there's an aging workforce. I think these also can flag up risks in the charity sector and just generally across um, all businesses. So, for example, we know that as people get older, their, their balance control can change. So if you're working at height, if you're doing something that involves climbing ladders, etc., then uh, an aging workforce, that's, that's a risk that needs to be looked at. And also the way that people, the contracts under which people work are changing. We're, we're seeing much more flexible types of working. We're seeing more home working. We're seeing zeros contract hours. We're seeing subcontracting. All these, all these changes in how people work this can all dilute a sense of the employer's responsibility to their workers or even their volunteers. And that dilution of responsibility must, must be looked at and kept in mind when we're trying to manage risks in the workplace or in the charitable world. Matthew Holder, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. A massive thanks to Matthew Holder from the British Safety Council for his time and that fantastic interview. We'll post um, links to all of the, the websites that we've cited throughout the podcast on our website. You can also keep up to date with the charity sector generally. We, we post useful articles and interesting posts on our Facebook page, um, which is Charity Chat Podcast. And we are also on Twitter at charity underscore podcast. So do join us on there. Um, Please feel free to also contribute if you have any questions, any areas that you'd like us to cover, any comments about previous podcasts, then please do share them with us. We really would love to know how you're enjoying these or if you're enjoying them at all. If there's things that we could change, let us know. I'd like to thank all of our sponsors, Red Dog Music, for sponsoring our podcast kits. Forest of Fools, who have been playing throughout the show and will be playing us out shortly. And also RR Yard Photography for their lovely uh, pro bono photography which you can find all over our website charitychat.org.uk next month phoebe we're going to be talking about recycling for charity which is going to be very very exciting so um thank you all for listening we'll speak to you next month cheerio bye